The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, this is Jürgen Oplo, Europe's famous coffee diva, and I am happy to be on the Agile Uprising podcast. Hey, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am Andy Clef, and I am so delighted to be joined by three members of our Discord server who will ask to introduce themselves oh, alphabetically by first name. Can you do that this early in the day? Tell us where you are, a little bit about your background, and then I'll introduce our guest. Hi. So it took me a while to realize I'm the first one. <laughs> Claudia Orozco-Gomez, and I am an Agile coach who's based in France, but originally from the States. I'll pass it on to... Nicholas. Yes. Okay. So hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Curry, and uh, as my accent probably gives away, I'm, I'm not from North America. I'm from Finland. Uh, and uh, I work with helping companies to get the business benefits from agile ways of working. So on to you, Stephen. Hey, Stephen Kellogg in the U.S. And I currently do fractional CTO, CIO work with small to medium-sized businesses. All of us met through the Agile Uprising Discord server. Is this the first time that you've seen each other's real faces? Not your Discord avatar? That is correct, at least for me. Uh, Nicholas and I were talking about it just um, just before we started recording, but he and I hadn't seen each other before, so it's a first. Same. I think Claudia and I are there. You're the only one I've seen, been on podcasts with, etc. We are all delighted to have back on the show, Jorgen Apollo. The last time you were on a show was, it feels like, a decade ago, April 2018, uh, we talked about agility scales. Prior to that, you and I had a coffee in Philadelphia like a hundred years ago, where we met with Emlon behind the Happy Melly. Happy Melly, the Melly Show picture. Yep. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm feeling great. What have you been up to? A lot of stuff, <laughs> right? Well, I survived COVID, apparently. I'm still here. <laughs> So uh, I used the last one half year to uh, do a lot of experiments, uh, run a lot of tests of business ideas. Some things worked, uh, many things did not work, and that's what tests are for. So uh, I used that uh, as, uh, you could say, the divergent phase (laughs) of design thinking the last one half years. And uh, I am right now sort of switching to the convergent phase. Uh, 
fig have figured out what works and what doesn't. Now I need to double down on uh, the things that deserve my focus. Nice. We wanted to talk about the unfixed model that you published not too long ago. You mentioned you drew on the work of many other people, took that divergent thinking and converged it. What were some of the, the key inspirations for the model? Well, um, first of all, I, I spent um, some time writing this book, Startup, Scale Up, Screw Up, uh, two, three years ago, um, that uh, I basically used to travel around Europe and visit cool companies <laughs> such as uh, um, well, Spotify in, 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 in uh, Stockholm and Flixbus in Berlin and TransferWise in Tallinn and uh, Typeform in Barcelona and many others. We have quite a few fascinating scale-ups here in Europe that we can be proud of, uh, in my opinion. Um, and uh, what I noticed, I, I, I wrote a, about a lot of things that I that I saw in um, in my book. But one thing that did not turn up in my book was basically that the pattern that uh, three or four people were leading a tribe or a business unit that was scaling very fast. They were like the managers, the chiefs, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the line managers were basically everyone. And then there was this number of people of up to maybe 150 that were very chaotic very anarchistic but they got things done really really fast uh, and that pattern sort of ended up in what i now call uh, uh, the unfix uh, the unfix model uh, one of the key things is do not have line management anywhere on any of the teams on any of the chapters or forums or any anywhere else because as soon as you have line managers, you have territories and they will try to protect those territories because <laughs> you gave them something that they own basically. Um, so that's one of the insights that I had. Okay, so this seems to work for scale-ups, keep the line management part out. And with that, I mean compensation, hiring, firing. That's what I call line management, functional management, who decides how much I get paid basically. Keep that out of the teams. Keep that out of the of the of the chapters or forums, as I said, and then let a lot of things self-organize. So that's one difference with um, the Spotify model, if I uh, may point it out, because there the chapter leads, as described in the original Spotify model, are the line managers of the people in their chapter, and then you have a matrix. Then you have a matrix uh, organization, um, and if you just Google for matrix organizations, uh, you find a lot of people complaining about those structures uh, where people have, have well, practically multiple managers. I have worked on a, a matrix organization uh, uh, quite a while ago, it was a big company um, in the Netherlands. I was just an ordinary software engineer. Um, and uh, I had a line manager uh, in one part of the organization who decided how much I got paid and whether or not I got a raise and, and, and a promotion. And someone else was the project manager that I reported to. Um, and um, they didn't even know each other, those two people. They were from completely different parts of the organization. In my case, it wasn't much of a problem. There was no conflict or whatever. But I know some people have ended up in yeah, pretty bad situations because their managers didn't agree. They're being pulled in different directions. And I thought, 
um, that's just not the way to go. There are some people trying to make matrix organizations work, but um, why bother if you if you can get around it? Yeah, I, I want to dive into that some more because we about a month ago did a podcast with Esther Derby where we talked about the myth of the annual performance review and how counterproductive it is. And one of the things that emerged was separate out promotion, raise, um, compensation from the feedback mechanism. And I'd love to yeah. dive in deeper in a minute, um, but I want to pass the, the mic over to any one of you, Claudia, what questions come sure. to mind? We, we did some pre-gaming. We have some, we have some really <laughs> stump Jorgen questions coming up. Well, I don't know if it's along the lines of the stump Jorgen, but um, I, I, I want to dive into the whole chief aspect because um, you you talked about them as a management team. So I wanted to see if um, if maybe you could describe a little more on on in practice how you've seen this um, a group of roughly three people. How do they stay? on the same page because we're seeing uh, a whole group of a whole, the whole organization will report to these chiefs. So how, how do they ensure they're aligned more or less? Good question. So maybe we should first go back to describing a little bit um, what else I mean with, with the unfixed model because we just jumped right in the middle. Right. Um, <laughs> we could describe this pretty picture. <laughs> and for those, uh, for the, uh, the listeners who have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so um, uh, for me, I, I call it, um, I call that a base. You, you call it, a, you can call it a tribe or a business unit or whatever, but there's a group of people of up to 150. There's quite a bit of consensus around that number in social science uh, um, of up to 150 people who are focused along a domain, a business domain or a kind of customer uh, or whatever. And if you have uh, fast growing startups, uh, small scale ups, that could be the entire company, right? That could be 100 people. That is the company, basically. That would be one uh, one base. And, um, and we'll get into some other things uh, soon, I hope, about fluidity of teams, uh, dynamic reteaming and such. But, um, but what I saw again and again, and that it's strange that that somehow didn't, didn't end up in my book, um, was that those couple of people who were managing that as a management team, they were usually like one product person, one marketing person, one technical person, or something like that. The roles could differ a bit, but it was usually three or four people. Um, it could be more if it is a significant uh, uh, organization, but uh, basically what they're responsible for was, was setting direction, indeed alignment of, of that base, of that tribe, of that business unit, and deciding who gets hired and who gets paid how much. But they're not involved in all the day-to-day -day work because that's what you have all the um, the crews for, the, 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 the captains on the teams or whatever, who do not have 
the decision power of who gets paid how much. They focus on what is the work that needs to get done. So I think this beautifully uh, um, uh, can merge with OKRs, for example. You have your objectives and, co uh, and key results at the base level. That's what those three, four or five people, those chiefs are responsible for the management team. They set the direction, they define uh, not only the objective, but also the key results, how they're going to measure themselves as a, as a base, as a business unit. And then they invite everyone else uh, in that base to come up with their own OKRs and, and see how they are going to contribute to making the base successful. So I think the whole OKRs principle uh, paradigm is orthogonal basically to to what I suggest with unfix that's just the organizational structure that I described I described nothing in terms of the flow of work the objectives uh, etc to basically to to keep that separate you can combine it with with almost with almost anything so I think that is one example of how you could do the alignment of of the, of the business just adopt okrs it seems to be a pretty powerful framework. All right. Let me jump in real, real quick, Andy. So, because it, it may be helpful for people to know that the, the URL to get the visual that goes along with the conversation um, is shiftup.work slash unfix dash model. And we should probably put that in the notes too. But. I, I love the idea of shared goals and, and your question, Claudia, when you have these three different uh, people, common shared OKRs at a very high level gets rid of some of that perverse incentives that came from mm -hmm. multiple, that you described, Jorgen, separate yes. silos with separate OKRs, right? My goal is X. Well, that competes with your goal. But when you make them part of the same team, yeah, they have a shared fate through these right. goals. I love it. Exactly. So that's my point uh, with, with the matrix uh, models uh, out there. People report to multiple managers, could be a functional manager and a project manager. They have different objectives. They don't even know each other sometimes, as I have experienced. So people are pulled into different directions. In, in my suggested model, even though two people on the same team could have different direct managers on the management team, um, they form one team anyways, though, that, those, that management team. So they have one objective. That's the whole idea, <laughs> that they work towards the same thing. So it's much easier to, to uh, have, have conflict or, or anything else um, uh, bubble up to the management team layer and get them to resolve things that cannot be resolved on the, on the teams because they are, they're also a team up there one level higher much easier to get them to, to agree on something. Um, and um, and uh, also, as I, uh, as I said, uh, uh, on, on, uh, uh, on a crew, as I call them, uh, on, a, uh, on a team, uh, you would not have line management, but they can, they can and I think should be a captain, someone who has a leading role. You could also call them a, a lead, a product lead or, or whatever. Um, who does not have line management responsibility, but those definitely should should sense what is happening. Uh, they uh, are co-responsible for getting feedback 
uh, about how everyone is performing open and transparently. That is, I think, exactly also what, what Astrid Derby uh, suggests and many others. Keep the composition separate from the feedback. Feedback should be as transparent as possible. We are now living in a in an age uh, where information is transparent, we know how everything happened, what happened with whom, the data is there. You should make sure that the chiefs have the data, the information, then they make the decisions. And, and uh, uh, the, the people on the teams, uh, they're just responsible for reporting whatever has happened and let them figure it out at the management team level who then deserves a raise or promotion or whatever. That's not the concern for people working on a team. So we're assuming here that people communicate well. Yes, of course. <laughs> Everything uh, uh, starts uh, or falls with proper organizational culture. Yes, there's there's no organizational structure that can survive a bad a bad culture for sure. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to ask you about the the captains on the the crew. So. Uh, if you would have an organization that, that you know, does, for instance, Scrum, and, and they have the product owners, they have the Scrum master in every team, and they said, okay, this unfixed model, it makes a lot of sense. Let's, like, you know, implement it. You know, how would you, like, think about, uh, in, in, in that case, would, would the product owner, like, become the, the captain for the crew, or, or would it be the Scrum master, or would it be, like, a new role, and maybe they don't need the Scrum master and, and, and product owner anymore? What's, what's your, how would you map it into, into the Scrum world? Yeah, good question. So the mapping, uh, it will be a responsibility for for not just me, but everyone else out there. Like, how does mm -hmm. this map <laughs> to what we are doing? Um, but let's use Scrum as an example. Um, uh, let's let's first roll back to what why I suggest this. Um, mm -hmm. I have been a part of a team um, uh, that was so self-organized that they did not have a lead or, or whatever to the outside world. And that was super frustrating for me because <laughs> whenever I wanted to have a meeting with them, it took them two weeks at least for them to self-organize and come up with a date that all of the team members could participate on the meeting. And I had exactly the same uh, message just a week ago from, from in a workshop in France, where someone said, I had that with 20 people. They were super self-organized. It was impossible just to get, just to speak with them because all of them wants to be on, on, on the call. Mm -hmm. I had a workshop last, uh, uh, last week and someone said they had exactly the same problem with, with 20 people who were so self-organized, they had no proxy to the outside world. Super difficult to get a meeting with them. And uh, um, with the, that's all well meant, but you can you imagine that an airline tries to make a call with a plane and they have to get all the, the, the pilots and the steward, uh, stewards and stewardesses into the cockpit and only then they can take the call. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? Someone needs to be the point of contact with the outside world. I call that the captain. Now you can talk about how does this captain role get picked? Well, there are plenty of options. Um, it would be super cool if the crew did the picking themselves, like democratically or whatever. You will be our ambassador to the outside world, for example. Uh, I sometimes joke and say we also do not send half of our country as ambassadors to China. We send just one or two people who are the ambassador. That's much more workable solution. <laughs> so you need to have an ambassador to the outside world. 
But in traditional organizations in the beginning, it could be someone who was assigned. Like, yeah, in airlines, the, the pilots are assigned by the organization, of course. You could have maybe, you could follow delegation levels. You begin with the captain was assigned in the traditional way, but once everything's working fine, over a period of time, this could become more democratically uh, a selected uh, person. Um, now, going back to the question uh, of how does that map to Scrum, um, well, I think most obvious would be a product owner because that person is dedicated uh, to the product and the team or crew that works on it. Uh, a Scrum Master usually is a more temporary engagement, uh, I think. Uh, the goal of the, pro pro uh, the Scrum Master is to make themselves not needed anymore because uh, they have more like an agile coaching mindset. So they into talking in, in the terminology of a team topologies, the scrum masters would logically be an enabling team. They would could have a temporary engagement with, with um, scrum teams until the teams fly and they can do it all themselves, but the product owner will always be there. Right. So I think the product owner would be a logical person to select as, as a chief in that context. Kind of like how you describe it. It's also like a liaison, like like role. So so you could like you know think about it differently. Like the product owner just lead the product, and someone else will be the the person like making those contacts. So it's it's uh, kind of like up to the team also how to how to think about that. Yes, definitely. You could also say, well, we split that captain role into different uh, domains. When it is product stuff, it is this person doing the conversation. When it is technical stuff, we have a technical lead who talked with architects uh, outside of the crew or whatever. Of course, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm sensing some synchronicity with sociocracy and circles and circle leads that yeah. in, in, not to be confused with holocracy, completely differentocracy, but sociocracy mm -hmm. in its purest sense, circles with clear domains that are part of other circles with clear leads that interact with other sub-circles and circles. Was that, was that part of unfixed thinking? Um, I, I think it is common sense uh, ending up in, in multiple models. Uh, it, it just makes little sense to have a self-organizing group be present uh, at every conversation that happens with the outside world. You need some kind of abstraction, yeah. uh, a point of contact, an ambassador, a liaison uh, indeed. Um, depending on the topic at hand. So that's just, for me, it's, it's, it's common sense. And you can argue about the, the name or the title. I thought captain was a cool word. Um, but um, yeah, some We're people are, aller are allergic to that kind of terminology. So, okay, fine, pick something else. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. So I'll jump in. Um, one of the questions that I, I guess I was mulling about is, one of the issues with a lot of models, especially the older kind of pre-agile, is you ended up with departmental budgets. And so departmental budgets ended up driving more of the, no, this is my world, my domain, you can't have these resources, et cetera. So I can see this can help free that up. I'm curious if you could talk a little more from the business side of how you would lay out budget-wise this kind of division. 
Well, I have to be honest, I just published uh, what uh, I had a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this is one of the first conversations I have about the model, but it is all still in development. I still need to think about how does how do portfolios work? How do programs work? How does budgeting work? Um, so plenty of work to be done. Um, but I thought, hey, I think I have a good starting point. Let's publish mm -hmm. this as it is. And then we can continue the conversation and, and build it out with those who are interested. But um, having said that, um, I am inspired by companies such as uh, Hire, um, uh, um, where I've been, by the way, in, in China, in Qingdao, uh, interviewed uh, the CEO, super cool. He wrote the foreword for, my, uh, for the Chinese translation of my book, uh, Management Theory at All. Um, and uh, Hire is famous for basically having such units of, of a few dozen people who are so self-supporting, self-sufficient that they're practically run as mini enterprises, as they call them. Uh, they have their own budget. They have their own profit and loss. They, it's Hire as a company is basically uh, a few thousand little companies uh, that from most practical uh, points of view uh, that collaborate with each other for the right to produce certain uh, products and, and offer certain services to the outside world. Uh, super fascinating to read about that. Um, so I think that would be an awesome way of implementing budgets. Um, you, your budget is what you can earn as a base. That's it, that's your budget. <laughs> And, and whenever you provide some value to another base, charge them for it. <laughs> you'll, you'll have, that, that's what value units do, right? That they, 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 they charge each other for, for services. Um, if you do not have such a setup, you, you'll have a more traditional approach to organizational structure. Yeah, that requires some more thinking and I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, that uh, that requires some digging into uh, existing uh, existing structures and, and budgeting uh, uh, and portfolio um, uh, solutions and see how they map onto uh, uh, onto Unfix. So um, yeah, I look I look forward to developing it further. Yeah, and it, it seems like this question is often the tricky one too. It's how how do you manage money? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I mean, part of what I like is if you think about it from the base, then the three chiefs are responsible, which actually starts blending those departments that are often separate. So if the three chiefs together have to figure out the budget, then they have to work together to make the base successful. So from that perspective, I like it. Yeah, it, it could be that I, I, I come to the conclusion that there is no other way that the chiefs need to have responsibility and ownership of the money that they earn and therefore the money that they can spend. And maybe they need to have uh, uh, need to be able to, uh, uh, to loan money or whatever from, from higher management to get certain, to get uh, investments done in new product development or whatever. Um, but they need budget uh, responsibilities uh, uh, possibly. <laughs> Um, right. Otherwise, things may not work uh, at all. But yeah, as I said, uh, Stefan, uh, Stephen, uh, I'm I'm not there yet. Uh, it will, uh, it will come at some point. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> this is all pretty new as it uh, as it is. Just be interested. You're saying it's it's all relatively new. Um, well, 
at from the time that we're recording, it's maybe about a month old. So how are you going about evolving or, or maybe creating this dialogue around unfix? Well, first of all, I have a workshop going on. I actually have the next one in a couple of days in Barcelona. So I have uh, conversations with with. Uh, people in my class, why we not only talk about unfix, because that's just one twelfth of the topics in the, in the workshop. Uh, plenty of other things that that uh, are come to the table. But uh, once I have done that, um, I I have a community, the Shift Up community, where I get people involved, uh, and I actually am planning to do quite a few more company visits again. Because last time that I went around Europe was a couple of years ago. Um, fortunately, uh, travel is slowly getting back to uh, normal. <laughs> so I hope, fingers crossed. Uh, knock on wood that I can do some fascinating company visits again. I visit those those scale ups, maybe some that I visited before, and now more specifically ask for organizational structure um, issues and solutions that they that they have to see what I can absorb in in the model that I have. But um, um, it, it's it's funny that that um, when you see uh, the other models out there um, such as well the famous one is of course safe the scaled agile framework um, uh, which has its place in the world um, i will not uh, attack safe as it is but i have not heard of any fashionable trendy fast growing company that uses the scaled agile framework uh, it is. I, I I heard it nowhere across my travels around Europe, uh, visiting the the, the, the scale ups of fast growing companies of, of a few thousand people. Um, and um, and funny anecdote is last last week uh, I, I saw Dean Laughingwell uh, posting about the the, the cool uh, leaders uh, in the world. Uh, that have the business leaders in the world that have adopted the scaled agile framework. And the first on the list was American Express. That was exactly the company that I fired a day earlier because their uh, IT is so atrocious. <laughs> their service is so bad <laughs> that I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of you. <laughs> I, I do not want this credit card anymore. So that was not a good reference as far as I was concerned. <laughs> So um, that uh, about safe, um, Spotify model is super cool, but people struggle with the matrix uh, issue of it, but it has some implementations. Uh, ING is a famous example, ING Bank here in the Netherlands, uh, supposedly have adopted safe with some, oh, sorry, a Spotify model with some uh, adaptations. I haven't been there, I read the articles. Um, uh, published by the, the the coaches and consultants who have been responsible for it looks looks pretty cool, uh, and uh, I am an ING and happy ING customer myself. I can see that they have uh, made uh, tremendous strides with their um, uh, uh, with the apps and uh, and everything that they offer uh, to customers. So yeah, they did it. They did a good uh, a good job. But I can I think we can move uh, a step further, and that's basically what I did with with Unfix. So I've been inspired by uh, what does not work elsewhere, and uh, coming back to the matrix again, um, when you do not address line management, uh, who who is responsible for who. 
who gets paid how much, then by default, you end up with a matrix. Uh, that's what the result is of the scaled agile framework. It is by design that SAFE does not tackle compensation because then it would be impossible to implement it anywhere if, the, if this required a change. But that means by default, you end up with a matrix because you're not changing the functional lines. Uh, you're, you literally overlay another structure <laughs> Uh, and that is as that's by design in the scale that your framework. So by design, they, 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 you end up with a, with a matrix with all the problems that it entails. Yeah. With the, the model that you've put forth, there's the ability to sense and respond to new opportunities in the base. I want to talk a little yeah. bit more about the concept of stable but not static teams, wondering yeah. how yeah. that's being yeah. received what you're finding in these scale-ups and startups. You reference Heidi Helfen's book, Dynamic Great Teaming. There's also Sandy Mamoli's Creating Great Teams via Self-Selection. These ideas that when you no longer have this force matrix and people are moving fungible resources, right. you've got knowledge that can move to where the problems are. How is that yeah. working out in the field in the places you've seen? Well, um, I would like to go back to the idea of stable teams. Uh, we have heard for 20 years that teams need to be stable um, because it takes them a while to go through this process of the Tuckman model of forming, storming, norming, performing. That's the same thing I've heard a hundred times <laughs> at conferences, and I have never uh, criticized it. It seems so logical. I have noticed it myself as well, of course, in the past. But it also made me think recently, and one of the the, the people who made me think was indeed uh, Heidi Helfland with, with her book, Dynamic Reteaming, but others as well. Uh, Young Ageling uh, is experimenting with fluid scrum teams that basically reform with every sprint. Uh, there is uh, a new fast agile model. Um, um, forgot the author of it, but he also uses uh, open allocation to basically have people uh, select, self-select in teams on a much more regular basis, depending on the work at hand. So I see these things happening. Uh, that's what I'm good at. I see, I see patterns in the world. I see people moving away from this idea that you have your stable team for three years, and that's the team that you will be working with. And I thought, yeah, actually, that makes sense, because if we look at um, an, another part of, of what teams do, um, let's stick to the IT domain, uh, releasing software, we have been speeding this up tremendously. I am so old that I remember that software was released once every year, maybe once every two years, and it was very painful <laughs> to do a software release in the 90s, and then these Agile people came along and said, why don't you do it every month? And we were like, what? Are you kidding? Every month? That's insane. Do you know how painful it is? And then people like Martin Fowler said, yeah, if it hurts, do it more often. Sure. That's, that's one of his favorite quotes. When it hurts, do it more often. And then I thought, why should that not apply to reforming as teams? We've been saying for 20 years, it hurts when we 
change our teams. I, I've heard people say, don't change your team because even if one person is replaced, your velocity will drop or your throughput will suffer. And then I think, well, keeping the person on the team is then not a solution, is it? That's the wrong solution. You should figure out why did velocity drop? What, what can we do to prevent velocity from dropping and still enable people to move across teams in a more fluid way? Because that makes you a lot more agile if you have addressed that problem. It will be good for people because there are more opportunities for them for self-development. They're not stuck on the same team for, for years on end. Um, it, is, it is good for the... the, 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 the the responsiveness of the organization, responding to problems. Just imagine that 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 um, a fire department uh, needs to put out a fire and they say, well, we're going to form a crew. And first they have to go through forming, storming, norming, performing. That will going to take two weeks. Then we'll go and get to, get to the fire. That we'll makes no sense. <laughs> Sorry, Claudia. I said, we'll get back to you. Yeah, we'll get back to you once we've found a crew that has, yeah, that has uh, done some dot voting with each other. Um, no, that's that's not how it works on a fire department. That's not how it works in a hospital. When they need to do an emergency operation, they work with whoever is available and they will form a team right there, right then. It's the same with, with a, a news crew that needs to go to go into a city to report on, I don't know, a terrorist attack or whatever as has happened in London. And there needs to be a news item at eight o'clock in the night. Okay, which cameraman do we have? Which microphone, uh, audio person, which interviewer? Go, go, come back with a news item. They don't have time to go through the, the Tuckman model uh, for a couple of hours. So it's not, it's a known, and, and solved problem in other domains. You have a base of people. They know how to work with each other because they have shared uh, uh, procedures. They have standard uh, approaches. They have a shared culture. They know each other across the base, not more than one out of 50 people. They know everyone on a first name basis. And then at the flick of a switch, they can form a team and they can gel almost instantly. That is the ideal situation, of course. Now, I totally understand um, the question that people have is, okay, but what about the code bases that those teams will be responsible for? Um, you have to sort of um, swap out uh, some knowledge about this code base that you were responsible for on that crew, you change to another crew, and then you're responsible for another code base, and you have to swap that in. Well, okay, well, swapping things in and out of memory is also a known problem among IT people. We, we know how that works, and yes, you pay a penalty for that, but it shouldn't cost you several weeks. Uh, then you, you're doing something wrong, I think. So figure out how to do this faster, um, and I'm not the first one to suggest this because Heidi has written about it in her book. Uh, Jan Willem is, is publishing articles on it on, on Serious Scrum uh, blog, uh, Fluid Teams. I just see the pattern as, okay, hey, this is happening in the Agile community. I think that makes sense to apply, if it hurts, do it more often, also to teams. Let's just get better at it because if we're able to address that issue, then we can respond to crises and opportunities much faster. I mean, 
I'm, I'm sure you've, you've seen on the news and noticed yourself that Facebook was offline for six hours, uh, two or three weeks ago. I'm pretty sure they had to form a crew <laughs> very, very fast and get that problem solved <laughs> without going right. through forming, solving, norming, performing, right? That's a problem. And whether it is this or a ransomware attack or just something that the competition has done and, and you need to respond to it, tomorrow um, you need to form a team very fast and respond and it seems like you're you know you said you're you're pointing you're picking up this new pattern um, but it it is relatively new and a lot of the examples that you were citing were crisis examples so how have you seen this happen um, or what kind of maturity does it take to have this happen in a regular work setting where there is no crisis, it's just, it's it's a new habit that's forming. Yeah, good question. Well, first of all, it's not only crises, but also opportunities. I mean, uh, when it is about uh, news crews, there are often opportunities for news items because they need news <laughs> to broadcast. It's not only about crises, but, but uh, anything that is worth reporting on. Um, so for me, there's not really a difference between a crisis and an opportunity. It's just something that happens and you want to respond fast. It is this, this agility, this responsiveness of the organization. And if, you're, if the, this, your speed of response is once every six, six weeks, as in some other models, then you're pretty slow. Uh, you should be able to come up with a, with a team to address some opportunity tomorrow. Now, indeed, this is a solved problem in other domains. It seems to be pretty new in IT. For a change, um, we're not leading <laughs> in this area. Uh, IT has been leading in other areas, organizational change and, and agility and whatnot, but dynamic reteaming is new for us, but it is a solved problem elsewhere. So that's good. Then we can look at what they are doing and, and just learn from them. So that's, that's a win as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how to do this exactly because I do not have such an organization myself. I just need to, that's my job. I just absorb what I see happening in the world, trying to make sense of it and, and publish it with pretty pictures. All right. So it, it sounds like you're saying there's a stimulus. There's some sort of, there's something that is asking for a new organization. So it's not necessarily, um, okay, we're, we're up on our team time it's been six weeks, let's rotate. It's yeah. no, there's some sort of external factor that's creating this need. Exactly, yeah. Um, and um, it's, the, it's the environment that um, it, it's a cliche because it's true, it is still speeding up. I, I just read one article after the other that we haven't finished speeding up organization um, environmental change. And uh, that has been pushing us to release faster, which is great because now we release software once per week, maybe some organizations many times per day. Um, once every four weeks is now vintage Scrum, um, in, in my opinion. That's what we did 20 years ago, right? That was fast then. It, was, it is slow now. And, and the, space, uh, the, the, the pace is still accelerating. Um, so the responsiveness of the organization in terms of team formation also needs to speed up. It's just the environmental pressure forcing us to and, and getting rid of that idea that 
you pick your team for the next six weeks and then that's it and then after six weeks we might come up with another one or it's some organizations a couple of years that you're stuck with the same team um again i don't know all the solutions i look forward to developing this there are others leading in this area um i am learning from them i'm just reporting on this trend that i see happening and i i i captured that i tried to capture it with the model that i offer uh i think this is post covid the way to go to learn how to do this and it doesn't mean that you should because i'm not saying that you have to change your team every week or so no of course not if they if it makes sense to stick together for a year or two, by all means, do that. But if you're forced to change tomorrow, you should be able to, because um, every day you wait is a day too long. That's, I mean, it was on the news uh, reports on how fast the Dutch government responded to COVID-19. And they said just, just a couple of days delay meant these amounts of deaths that they said the government was responsible for because they were too slow forming a team responding to a situation that that required super fast uh, uh, um, uh, acting uh, basically and um, well that's quite an extreme example but you have something similar in organization you have you may not have the luxury to wait a couple of weeks until you have your next bi planning uh, that that's that might be much too late I think we have time for one more question here. So um, when you publish this model, you, you wrote about like how you kind of what you've been talking about here, you observe some things in the companies you were visiting, you, you, you know, you read about dynamic re-team, you read about team topologies and, and like somehow like then the pieces started to click together and, and, and that was like the, the way how you, you came up with this model. And, and I had actually very much the same experience, like reading all these things that and I think everyone in like uh, our Discord server had this same experience that that you know like nothing new in a way but but in a way like all the pieces started clicking together there but there was one thing that i did not quite understand so when i asked about that unfix the name where does that come from <laughs> we're all curious yeah good question so uh well the the uh, it's time for the big reveal i <laughs> i suppose i just looked for a word that sounded good like one of the things that safe did really well was was to call it safe because that resonates with their target audience um they feel safe <laughs> with with um uh with uh, the scaled agile framework so that's a super smart decision i thought i need a word that 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 sends the message that i wanted to send like don't get stuck with your organizational structure. You should be able to be very flexible. You should un unfix uh, yourself. So um, yeah, that, that, that somehow I got I got uh, ended up with the word fix. Also because I was playing with uh, framework and innovation and uh, experimentation. Okay, F I X fix. Let's call it unfix. And that's sort of how the name clicked uh, together for me. Uh, so I could, uh, in, in retrospect, uh, say that the acronym is the Framework for Innovative Experiences or something like that, but that is not the most, the most important. We could come up with some other, some kind of other acronym that fits the word. Um, I like unfix. 
um, it it fits into uh, uh, into the, the 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 idea that I want to express with uh, with the model. I think we had quite a few bad names already out there, so this one is better, in my opinion. Thanks for the big reveal. Uh, thanks again, Jorgen, for taking the time to chat with us about the unfixed model. If you want to learn more about the unfixed model for versatile organizations, visit shiftup.work slash unfix dash model. To join Jorgen on his Shift Up adventures, visit shiftup.work slash join. Thanks also to my co-hosts, Stephen and Nicholas and Claudia, fellow members of the Agile Uprising Discord service. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review or a rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It really helps others find us. If you're first time tuning in, subscribe. If you liked what you heard, share it with a friend, a colleague, a chief, a crew member, a captain. If you want to discuss and share your stories about anything or dynamics, coffee, join our server. Come to agileuprising.com for links. Finally, support from listeners just like you. Help us cover our podcast and hosting costs. And for just a small monthly donation, you get a bevy of fun stickers. New ones every month. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out.